to talk about appreciating Jesus, not what he's done, but him this morning. And we're going to start in Luke 17. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. So the Old Testament law in what the Jews call the Pentateuch in Moses' law, there's laws regarding the cleansing of leprosy. And if a person who had a skin disease thought that they were healed, they had to show themselves at the tabernacle to the priest and be declared ritualistically and, and medically. They wouldn't have used that word, but they had to be declared clean by the priest in order to be able to come and worship and in order to be able to enter back into society. Because in those days, lepers lived in sort of a little camp outside of town. They had to wear a sign. They had to shout as they walked down the road if anyone was coming near them. They had to shout, unclean, unclean, so that no one would come near them. Most of the time, if they came out in public, uh, they'd get stones thrown at them or you know rejection and insults. And so in order to come back into society and maybe even move back in with family in a home, they had to go to the priest and show themselves to be clean. So when Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest, he is following the Mosaic law of the Old Testament that, that Moses had laid down. And notice when they shout out, these 10 lepers shout out, Jesus, have mercy on us. The first thing he says is, go and show yourselves to the priest before they are healed. As they went, they were cleansed. A year and a half ago, I preached you three sermons about live like it's true before it happens. If you ask God for something, do whatever he says, even if what he says hasn't happened yet. And as you go, it will happen. They had to act in faith. They came to Jesus in faith on the first point. But then he gives them an instruction which literally makes no sense. I'm not clean yet. I can't go in the tabernacle or at the temple in Jesus' day. I'm not allowed in there. But Jesus said go, so they take off running. And as they're running toward the temple with this preposterous claim that they're healed, they get healed. Hello? Live like it's true before it happens. You can go back online and listen to those if you want to hear more of that. But as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet and giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. The Samaritans, if you're not familiar, the Jews of Jesus' day considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds because they were... Uh, They were absolute rejects. They were not allowed in the temple. They were not allowed to participate in anything with the Jews because they were only half Jewish. They were the offspring and the children of Jewish fathers who had married Gentile wives after they returned from Babylon 400 years before this. And this culture grew up in this area called Samaria. And they were considered foreigners and rejects by the Jews. So this man is a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
So Jesus heals these ten lepers. And as they go, they were cleansed. Live like it's true before it happens. But one, as he sees that he was healed, stops and turns around falls at Jesus' feet and with a loud voice. This guy is really happy. Jesus just gave him his life back. If he had a family, he would have never been allowed to be with them in a building, in a a room. He maybe could have talked to them at a distance outside, never could have touched them, never hugged his children, never kissed his wife. If he had them, maybe he had leprosy from a child, but if it came on as a man, um, he's missing out on all that, and he would not have had any way to make any money. They literally had stones thrown at them, probably on a nearly daily basis. They were absolute rejects. And Jesus has given him his life back. And he falls at Jesus' feet and screams his appreciation. With a loud voice, he fell on his face at his feet and he gave thanks. This story tells me that only 10% of the people that Jesus does anything for are actually thankful. There's a lot of people that in desperate situations cry out to God and he fixes their situation and they go right on with life. And he is that gracious. He really is. But one of the ten actually turned around and thanked him. I don't know about you, but I want to be one in those ten percent. In the biblical language of metaphor and symbolism, leprosy always represents sin. The rottenness, the decay of our soul's situation. In the Old Testament, the law was you do not touch a leper because you will get it. Jesus came and totally blew that out of the water and he touched the lepers and they got what he had, which was life and wholeness and healing because the power of God is more contagious than the power of the devil, all right? But leprosy always represents our rotten, decayed, sinful condition and so this represents Jesus not just healing their body as you know, it's, it's a true, physically, medically true story, but in the language of biblical symbolism, it's a parable for Jesus removing the decay and making us whole again, and only 10% of the people that he saves actually care to thank him for it. Everybody else just goes on their way. So I want to talk to you about thankfulness this morning, and as I said, I'm going to tell you it's not what you thought, it's not what you've been told. I want to read you from an article by Jay Richards uh, from the stream. You don't want me to tell you to be thankful for your many blessings. You've known that since you were a kid. Your mom probably made the point every time your appetite waned while the vegetables on your plate remained. Somehow the thought of poverty in India or China was supposed to spark gratitude in your heart. (laughs) But facts are facts. You enjoy more wealth, health, personal freedom, and leisure time than 99% of humans through history. If you make at least $32,400, you are in the top half of American income and the top 1% worldwide. 32,000. 
you're in the top 1% of the world's richest people. People love to claim about the 1%, but almost every American is in it. Gratitude is the first sign of a thinking, rational creature. If you are a thoughtful person, you will be thankful. If you grew up in church any time before 1990, you probably heard, count your blessings. Count your blessings, name them one by one. I can still remember my grandma in preschool. One by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. We do that in an effort to be thankful. This author says, my wife takes great pleasure in making us all sit at the Thanksgiving table And we have to name 30 things we are thankful for before we can eat. (laughs) He said that before it's done, the kids and I are adding individual fingers and toes to to beef up the list. (laughs) Just so we can get on with eating. (laughs) Because what makes gratitude so hard and what distinguishes it from other virtues he says, is that gratitude isn't just an action or a habit, it is a feeling or a state of mind. See, we can be sad or angry or frustrated and still keep the Ten Commandments, right? You don't have to feel patient to be patient, but you cannot be thankful if you don't feel gratitude. You might be discombobulated, but you can still exercise patience and prudence and bravery You might be irked at your spouse, but you can still treat him or her kindly, but gratitude isn't like that. You can thank God for his blessings and thank your neighbor for lending you his lawnmower and write thank you notes and still not feel thankful so you aren't being thankful. You're faking it. Notice how closely the being and the feeling are with gratitude. Most virtues aren't like that. If you're patient with an irritating coworker when you'd like to slap his face off, you are on the path to virtue. But in contrast, if I pray, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, but I feel indifferent in my heart, I'm not thankful at all. I'm just going through the motions. So then he ends his article saying, so why go through the motions, even when you don't feel like it? Well, it's because as our actions often follow our feelings, our feelings of love and forgiveness and gratitude can follow our actions. So we become more grateful by cultivating it by choosing to act thankful even when we don't want to. He says, gratitude is more than a feeling, but it certainly isn't less. So, count your blessings is a legitimate instruction, and it does work if we are honest about the blessings that we have. But it's true that if, maybe it is with you, it is with me, that if you try to list off your blessings that you take for granted with some thankless attitude, it isn't going to change my attitude. Having to name ten things I'm thankful for on Thanksgiving morning is forcing gratitude that may or may not be there, and if it's not there, it isn't going to create it. It's a good reminder, moms and grandmas, you keep doing that. Make your kids say what they're thankful for. I'm certainly not here to say that that's wrong. But we are so rich 
I mean, we Americans. 32000 isn't a whole lot of money by American standards, but you're in the top 1% of the world. We are so rich and spoiled to list off our blessings that we're thankful for is like trying to be thankful for food on Thanksgiving afternoon. You've had so much, you can't be thankful for it because it feels gross. Seriously. Unless you take a trip to the third world, we really don't know how much we have. And it's like trying to be thankful when you're in a turkey coma you know, or be thankful for money after you've just won the lottery. It's just, you've got so much, we can't be thankful for it. So Jesus actually gave us some better advice than count your blessings. He told us how to be truly overflowing, excessively thankful. There's a story in the New Testament that's uh, three times, and we're going to read all three versions of this story. They all three give us different details. The Gospels often repeat stories and they don't have the same details, just like if you were a police officer after a car wreck and you're interviewing witnesses, you interviewed four or five different people, you're going to get different details from each one of them. It doesn't mean that one of them is wrong because it differs from the other two. It's just what that person happened to notice, right? So we're going to read the three Gospel versions of this story from Mark and Luke and John. And uh, we're going to add up the details in this story, and then we're going to uh, talk about what Jesus said will actually make us thankful better than count your blessings. Here we go, from Mark 14. Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, whoa, let's just stop right there. Jesus is in the house of a leper. Didn't I just tell you lepers couldn't live in houses? Didn't I just tell you that the Jews were not allowed by Moses' law to be in the presence of a leper? Hmm. Jesus is in the house of a leper. A leper owns a house in Bethany. Bethany's a few miles outside Jerusalem. It's the uh, village where Lazarus and Martha and Mary were from. Uh, and there's this man named Simon who's a leper. Or was. Hello? If he's in a house and there are people there, he's not a leper anymore. Now Jesus ignored that limitation to not touch lepers, but nobody else did. <laughs> nobody else did. <laughs> Guaranteed. And you'll find out later the house is full of Pharisees. They would never have gone anywhere where it wasn't clean. So this guy has been healed. I can't prove it to you, but I suspect uh, who did it. <laughs> I suspect. All right? So... Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table and a woman having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. That's about uh, $30,000 that it's worth. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always, but whenever you wish, you may do good to them, but me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So I want to point out some words and phrases in this account, and then we'll go on to Luke, the same story. Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, and 
a woman comes in with an alabaster flask of this very costly oil of spikenard. It's made out of a tree sap. It's still used in perfume making today. It's extremely potent and very valuable. And she breaks the flask. It didn't have a cork stopper on it because that would ruin the fragrance. It was in a sealed jar, and once you open it, you open it. It's, it's done. It's worth about $30,000 by our money today, and she pours it on Jesus. And there were people in the house who criticized her sharply for wasting this on Jesus. That's really valuable. That could have been sold and given to the poor. But Jesus says, leave her alone. And Jesus says, what she has just done is an eternal act of love and gratitude. Wherever this gospel is told, in every tongue, every nation, every language, every people around the world for all eternity, in the eternal word of God, her sacrifice of love and gratitude is going to be forever told. So whoever it is that's judging her is only thinking about the money. And Jesus says, this is so important. This is an eternal moment. You know, John says at the end of his gospel, Jesus did so much that if we wrote it all down, the world itself could not contain the books. But Jesus specifically picked this event to be in the book. It's that special. It's that meaningful It's that eternal. Luke also tells us uh, about this event. Then when one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house. Simon the leper is a Pharisee. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. Now, Mark didn't say anything about tears or feet or her hair, but we're just getting more details here. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. We're getting a more full picture of what this woman is feeling and doing to Jesus in the presence of all these men that are judging her. In this culture in those days, only men would have been at the table and the women would have been serving. And she blows through that social custom right into the middle of the men and collapses at Jesus' feet in hysterical sobbing of love. She breaks a $30,000 jar of perfume and dumps it on him. Something has moved her. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, so we know this is Simon the leper, the host of the dinner, He spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. We know from church history that the tradition is that this woman was a prostitute. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, The Bible does tell us who this is. We'll see that in the Gospel of John. But the tradition is that she she was a prostitute, and that's why this man was judging her. So now we know that he, Jesus is being judged for allowing her to waste the value Jesus is also being judged because he's letting a dirty woman touch him. More proof that the Pharisees that are here would not have been there if Simon was still a leper. 
Because all they are concerned about is ritual, cleanness, public image, PR. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So we know this is still the same Simon. Right? There is his name again. I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's about $50,000. And the other 50 denarii. That's $5,000. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. And tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman, but spoke, speaking to Simon, he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. These are just common courtesies common social courtesies of how to receive a guest in your home. The first thing you did was let them take their sandals off and wash their feet. They greet each other in the Middle East, even men, by kissing each other on the cheeks. And then they would have, he says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. They would have, anointing your hair with, head with oil was grooming. I've traveled either on a donkey or I've walked down the dusty road and I got to get cleaned up before we have dinner together. So Simon has blown off all common social courtesies of the day. He has totally snubbed Jesus. He's only invited Jesus to trap him, like the Pharisees are always doing. They, try to, they bring him in to get him to say something wrong so that then they can have the scribes publicize it to the world. Nothing's changed. Jesus says, Simon, you totally blew me off, but this woman has done more than she should have in an excessive way. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, that one loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus said, your, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. So she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven... That one loves little. Okay, in this one, I just want you to see that Simon the leper is one of the Pharisees. And we get the added detail that this woman, who's falling at Jesus' feet and crying, is a sinner, a dirty woman. She kisses his feet and anoints him with oil. And then we go to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Mark and Luke were not there, but John was there. Mark and Luke are not one of the twelve. They interviewed the twelve and wrote their gospels based on their testimony. But John was there. So we get a lot more personal details from John. Because he was there and he saw this. You with me? John 12. Six days before the Passover. This is six days before Jesus' crucifixion. All right? Six days before his crucifixion, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead. This is one or two days after he raised Lazarus from the dead when this story happens. Either the next day or two days later, he gets invited to this feast and it's in honor of Lazarus' resurrection. 
And they made, there they made him a feast. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now we find out who this woman is. It's Mary. And once again, Martha is serving food, and Mary didn't get it last time. She's still not working. She's still sitting at Jesus' feet. <laughs> so here's Jesus sitting with Lazarus in the house of a Pharisee who had been a leper. And this Pharisee holds a dinner to celebrate the resurrection of Lazarus. Actually, he's not celebrating. It says they planned on killing Lazarus too because so many people were believing in Jesus because of Lazarus' resurrection. But it's Mary that comes in with this pound of very costly oil and anoints Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. This is Judas's dad. This happens at the house of Judas's father, whom I suspect Jesus healed. I can't prove it to you, but guarantee you he's healed now. I'm suspecting it's probably Jesus because nobody else did that. Yeah, I, I have to qualify that because the Bible doesn't say it. But I guarantee you the house is not full of Pharisees if Simon is still a leper. He's no longer a leper. This happens at Judas' dad's house. And Judas, who would betray him, said... Why was the fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to put, take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. So, uh, Mark told us that Jesus was judged for letting her waste the money, but John tells us who it was that judged her. It was Judas. The other two tell us it was Judas's father who judged him for letting the dirty woman touch him so let me point out to you some words and phrases here six days before the passover this is a week before the crucifixion it is a day or two after he's raised lazarus from the dead he comes to bethany and he and lazarus are the guests of honor at this great feast and it, the later on john says there was a great many people there it was the, the whole town and it's only a, like three miles from Jerusalem. There was a lot of people from the city there, too, to come out to see Lazarus. So many were believing in Jesus that it says later on in this chapter of John that the Pharisees decided they had to kill Lazarus, too, because he was proof that Jesus was the Messiah. Martha is serving, and Mary blows into this banquet in the presence of all the men where she is not allowed. It is absolute taboo. She can bring food in and set it at the table and walk out backwards. That's what the women are allowed to do. And she blows in and she falls at Jesus' feet. This is a day or two after Jesus has raised her, her brother from the dead. You might have some pretty f uh, powerful emotions about that. You might have some thankfulness. You might have some appreciation about that and she blows thirty thousand dollars on him in an emotional outburst of tears and gratitude she dumps her love on jesus 
She's weeping so hard she can wash his feet with her tears. That's a lot of tears. That's a lot of love. That's a lot of gratitude. And Mary fills the house with the fragrance of the perfume. Jesus leaves this dinner and the next day is the triumphal entry where he rides the donkey in, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's the very next day. So in biblical symbolism, language, perfume, we are told in Revelation that incense is our prayers, our worship, our praise, our adoration of God. It's in, it's in Revelation. So this perfume that Mary pours out on Jesus is representative of our love, our worship, our praise, our prayers, our adoring, our appreciation, what we give to Jesus in thankfulness and in adoration to him. Mary has this explosively thankful outburst of appreciation where she cannot contain herself. She has to go in the midst of these men she knows will criticize her sharply. She can't wait any longer. I have to fall at his feet. The leper came back and fell on his face at Jesus' feet and in a loud voice, he made a scene with his thankfulness. Mary makes a scene here. She shuts down the party. Seriously. It would have been a crowded, chaotic scene and she does something scandalous and taboo, not just that that a woman just blew in, but... She makes a big scene out of her appreciation and her love for Jesus. I am telling you, it's a day or two after Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. I'm sure that's on her heart and on her mind. But that's not what Jesus says. What did Jesus say was the reason she did this? Back in Luke, he tells Simon the parable... This guy owed me $50,000 and this guy owed me $5,000. And Simon knows exactly who those two people are. It's me and her that he's talking about. She's the one who had the greater pile of sins, who had the greater debt. And, G and Jesus asks him, which one do you think will love the master more after he wipes off those debts? Simon says, he knows what she means. Well, he knows what Jesus means. She loves me more than you love me. Simon knows exactly what Jesus means. So he says, I suppose the one who got the bigger debt forgiven. He says, you're exactly right. Back to Luke chapter 7. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. The Bible tells us elsewhere. The Bible never tells us Mary was a prostitute. Christian church history tells us that. But the Bible does tell us he cast out many demons out of her. She was demon-possessed at an exponential level. When Jesus met her, she's got a lot of reason to be thankful. Jesus says, I, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Now, does Judas's dad have less sin than Mary? No. 
No. Does he think he has less sin than Mary? Yes. Jesus isn't saying that Judas' father is more righteous than Mary. He says Mary is aware of how much I have forgiven and you are not. So you have snubbed me when I came to your house and she has come with great love because she knows how much I have forgiven her for and set her free. That, my friends, is gratitude. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you really want to find thankfulness, stop trying to count your blessings because we're spoiled, rich, fat. Start counting your sins that you've been forgiven for. And that will make you fall at his feet and cry tears of gratitude. I'm not saying that count your blessings is wrong. It's, it's good. It's just not as good as Jesus said, if you want to love much, Realize how much you have been forgiven. If your heart is cold and numb, if your prayers and worship are routine, if you don't interact with God very much, try not counting your blessings, but counting your sins. Count your sins from which you are now free. Look at yourself like the leper and see that you have been cleansed and it will move you to fall at his feet. And shout your appreciation to him. It's counterintuitive, but of course, everything in the kingdom of heaven is. The more honestly you admit how ugly and dirty and leprous you are, and how desperate you, ha- you are to have Jesus cleanse you, how often you have prostituted yourself against him, how completely undeserving you are of his forgiveness, of his touch, of his salvation then the more extravagant, the more explosive, the more meaningful and heartfelt your thankfulness, your worship, your praise, and your service will be. Yes, count your blessings. But we are so spoiled. We have so much. It's hard for us to even really truly understand how much we have. So it's not wrong. But Jesus tells us a better way here. Count your forgivenesses. Name them one by one. Count everything he's forgiven you for. See what God has done. Seriously. In Jesus' parable from Luke 18 where he compares the Pharisee's prayer to the sinner's prayer, which one thanks God? The Pharisee thanks God. Do you see it? Jesus says, the Pharisee stands there and he says, I thank you, God, for everything good you've given me. Thank you that my life is going well. Thank you that I'm righteous. And the other guy, the sinner, lays on his face and says he can't even look up to the sky. And he beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me. I don't deserve it. I am a sinner. And Jesus said, that man walks away justified. In no way am I saying don't thank God for the good things. The Pharisee did it in grotesque self-righteousness. All right, so it's not wrong to thank God for what he's given you and that your life is going well and that you're healthy and you have your bills paid. And I'm not in any way saying don't thank God, but the Pharisee is the one that thanks God. And the sinner who beats his chest and begs for mercy, Jesus says his prayer is the one that was heard. So yes, count your blessings. 
But at least for me, that doesn't work very well. It doesn't change my attitude, really. Sometimes it has. But there's a lot of times it doesn't. It feels like going through the motions. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for our home. Thank you that we're healthy. It's just a list. Sometimes I'm genuinely feeling it. Other times I'm not. But where I always feel it is when I'm on my face thanking him that I know I deserve hell and you have had mercy on me. Thank you for your patience when I was running from you. Thank you that you did not kill me when I defied you. I'm not talking about shame. I'm not even talking about being focused on yourself. I'm not not in any way talking about beating yourself up continually over things that happened 30 years ago that you have repented for. Mary's sin and the fact that she used to be a prostitute and demon-possessed and was a really, really bad woman, that did not move her to go sit in a dark closet and pull her hair out and cry and scream and hate herself. It moved her to fall at the feet of Jesus. So uh, what I'm talking about is whatever moves you to fall at Jesus' feet and anoint him with your tears. Anoint him with your praise, with your thankfulness, with your appreciation for his forgiveness. That's real thankfulness. So again, I'm not all talking about beating yourself up in some sort of sin-conscious way. Talking about thankfulness leading toward falling at the feet of Jesus. So look specifically, intentionally, at the past of your life and thank Him that that's not how it is today for what He set you free from. Look at your unsaved family and think, thank you, God, that you taught me the truth that I'm not where they're at. Because that is who I would be. That is what my life would be, except for you. Look at the habits that you used to have that you could not defeat that are now gone. Remember his patience with you while you were in that habit. Let your gratitude Burst out when you remember his mercies are new every day. Let your appreciation pour out. Let your love for him be extravagant. Cause a scene. I don't mean to get attention. Jesus says that ruins it all. You have to do it in the secret place. But as you pour out As you anoint him with your love, with your worship and praise, your tears, the perfume of your love between him and you in the secret place will fill the house. Hello? Mary filled the house. Everybody could smell her love for him. And this, I'm told that this, Raw oil of spikenard is impossible to wash out. It would, la- it would have lasted for months. It didn't just get on Jesus, it got on her. She's wiping it with her hair. 
Her adoration of Jesus made her, it made her beautiful. The fragrance of her love for him got on her. And everybody else got to smell it. It's beautiful. There's a fragrance that will come in your secret place. Your fasting, your prayer, your service, your worship, just between you and Jesus that nobody else knows. The appreciation for things that nobody else understands. It will make you beautiful. It will perfume your life and everyone else will smell it. And the Bible says we are diffusing the fragrance of Christ everywhere we go. As you anoint him, that fragrance will get in you and you will be beautifully scented by it also. That's how we are thankful. Yes, count your blessings. I'm sure she is there in uncontained thankfulness that you raised my brother from the dead yesterday. But Jesus doesn't point that out. She's doing this because she loves me so much because I forgave her of more than anybody else. In her own mind, she's the most forgiven person. It's a good attitude. That's what Jesus says is leading to this extravagant thankfulness and love is that she understands how much I have forgiven her of. I vote we do the same. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you.